This is Radio Influence. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, everybody out there. Duffified Live land. It's Friday morning, and uh, I am currently in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, getting ready to get a flight out of uh, out of here so I can get back home, get back into the restaurant because it's been a uh, crazy couple of days out here. Um, I have the luxury, as I always talk about, of working with a company called General Electric, and I get to go and do these amazing events that GE puts on in these super high-end design centers. And I get to cook for about 100 people. They're designers and they're builders and they're kind of influencers within the city. And we do these unbelievable events. But uh, one of the greatest things that I do when I go to these towns is I made a pact a long time ago because I used to like, especially when we did Bar Rescue and stuff like that, I used to go into these towns And, you know, we'd go out and we'd drink and then lay in bed. You know, not we would lay in bed. I'd lay in bed. But we would all go out and booze pretty hardcore, man. Pretty hard. I mean, so hardcore. And it went on for so long that I was like 290 pounds. Okay. Now, I'm no svelte young man now. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in my, in my body now and the decisions that I make, but I don't go out and go boozing hardcore every single night, especially when you're hanging out with mixologists, some of the greatest in the world, and you're throwing back their libations that they carry in their suitcase, you know, it was kind of funny, but so I made a decision a bunch of years ago that I was going to stay kind of out of bed and really get out and explore as much as I can. So I went out last night. And I explored pretty hardcore. Uh, some friends of mine and I, uh, Chef Celine, who is with us, um, who is a uh, culinary uh, mercenary, as she likes to say. And she's out here as my culinary assistant for the week. And uh, we got to hang out, or I got to hang out with her last night at this pretty awesome little place called BB's Jazz Cafe. And we heard this band called uh, Diversified Culture, I think it was, which is a really cool kind of reggae-esque, jazzy, gospel-y band. So I had a lot of fun with those guys. Ended up at this tiny little place, not even tiny, it's pretty big actually, called the Broadway Oyster Bar, which let me tell you something, no offense to everybody out there in the world, I have zero, zero tolerance for uh, bad oysters, especially in the middle of the damn country. Where are you pulling these oysters from? So I didn't have the oysters last night, but I did have some mud puppies. So I sucked back some crawfish and uh, we had a pretty good meal. It, was, uh, it, it wasn't that bad. I, I enjoyed it, actually. Then I ended up at White Castle, uh, where just so everybody knows, you're not allowed to walk through White Castle at all. So we actually had to get an Uber uh, to come and assist us through the the uh, White Castle line, um, which sucked. Uh, one, because I had to pay for white for an Uber. Two, we we originally uh, were going to hop in somebody's car that was in line at White Castle, but uh, the situation got a little dicey, 
And uh, I decided that it would be best for us to step away from the car rather than try to get into the car as uh, a friend of mine who was traveling with us, won't say Celine's name out loud, uh, was trying to get in the car. So we, we eliminated that situation. But uh, it was uh, it's a cool town, man. I really enjoy it. There's a there's a good vibe over here. I love that Midwest kind of world. Um, and I say world like that because my mother is from Ohio and it's a little bit east of the Midwest, but it's still the Midwest. And there's just a it's a different world. It's a in some cases, it's almost a nicer group of people. You know, I, I mean, especially being in that middle of the country with such major things happening on the West Coast and the East Coast and, you know, the way that things kind of flow, ebb and flow really throughout the country. Uh, it's something that I just really think is pretty cool. And I love the Midwest, man. I love the people. Um, I love the cultures that they have. I, I really enjoy every part of it. And, and and I just really like the people to me. And sitting down in this bar, these bars last night where I went, just loved it. Just a really nice group of people. So I, I am a Midwest fan. Um, so speaking of some adventures, uh, this week's, uh, guest is going to, well, you know what? I'm not going to talk about the guest real quick. I want to talk about one more thing. Um, uh, the restaurant, everybody's been kind of asking me about the restaurant. I'm going to end up probably doing a podcast just about the restaurant, but the name of the restaurant is Ardmore Q and it is in a little town uh, on the outskirts of Philadelphia called Ardmore, okay? And uh, I bought this about five months ago, and I've been getting a lot of flack for the fact that I haven't done like a big media party or press releases or anything like that. And for me, for my personal little spot, not my clients, not something I'm doing on TV, not something that I'm doing in a very grandiose scale, I just wanted to make sure that it was perfect, guys. I wanted to make sure that the product that I was getting in was exactly what I wanted to. I wanted to make sure that the smokers that I had purchased and that are in the place worked. And I wanted to really kind of dial it in so that it was perfect. And to me, I think we've kind of hit that mark. I think our ribs are out of this world, man. We smoke a three and a quarter down St. Louis for four hours and 45 minutes after we rub it for 25 with some deli mustard and a little bit of my dry rub. And then we spray it with a little fruit juice and beer throughout the throughout the, the cooking process. And to me, that's the style of barbecue that I like. That good Texas dry rub with a great sauce that goes on the side. And we've got a couple fun sauces over there as well. So all of our sides are pretty great. We switch them up as well. We've got a baked bean, which is one of my favorites. It's all the leftover ends from when we break ribs down and we smoke them, when we uh, end up with ends from the briskets and all that stuff, they're just the beans are my favorite side on the menu. So that's what I want you guys to come in and try if you want to. We're also going to be doing like a little online thing where you're going to be able to order ribs and we're going to be able to ship them to you around the country because I think that the ribs are that good and I'm really happy with them. So that's all I have to say about that. I'm not here to do a commercial or any of that shit. Um, I want to know what people thought of – Two things. One, the show that we did for opening night on Food Network in Detroit. So feel free to message me or whatever you have to do. You can tweet me. You can Instagram message me. You can send me a message on Facebook if you want. Um, whatever you want to do, email me. I really don't give a shit. Tell me what you thought about the show 
And then I want you to tell me what you thought about the interview with Jen Royal. Okay? Because that's been a big topic of conversation is Miss Jennifer. I'm sorry, I have the hiccups there for a sec. Is Miss Jen Royal and what she has been doing since uh, the show has aired. So uh, let me know that stuff. Send me messages. I'd love to continue the conversation online. Um, all I ask is tag Duffified Live. So also, hey, guys, go review us. Okay? I don't need validation for shit, but it's a new show. Go review us. Not that hard. It takes 13 seconds out of your life. All you got to do is hit five stars. I know you love it. I hope you love it. Go hit the five stars. Say, Duffy is a beast. We love this dude. And then we'll be good. And I appreciate it. So, all right. So now I want to talk about my guest for this week. So about nine years ago, I was doing this crazy show called Bar Rescue. All right. I actually started almost, I think it was 11 years ago. There's no way it can be that long. 2009? I don't know. I, I have no idea how long ago the show was and, the, and when I did it and stuff. But, uh, And I made a lot of friends while I was on the show, whether they were other cast members, whether it was crew, whether it was people within the restaurant itself. I mean, in some of these cases, some of these restaurants, I even ended up consulting on to help them through the process and get them set up for success after the show aired. So there was this one dude who I did, I believe – one episode with maybe two no two oh my god we did two episodes together and he and i are going to talk about that when he gets on the show uh and you guys know i've had guests on the show who have been on bar rescue in the past and all that good stuff and so the gentleman that i'm going to talk to you guys with this week his name is mr russell davis and Russell and I uh, have been friends for a long time, and we uh, kind of disconnected for a little while, you know, as things happen, as the crow flies. I have no idea what I'm saying, what analogies I'm going to use, but what I'm going to say is that Russell kind of took a path, and I took a path, and we reconnected this week. And uh, Russell had some pretty crazy stories to tell me about his travels and where he's been and what's going on. And I felt the need and the desire to share that with people because I think that Russell needs to be heard for a little while. So I want everybody to do me a favor. Uh, I want you guys to listen to Russell's story, make your own judgments if you choose. Not that I want people to judge people, but it's a pretty crazy fucking story, guys. You know, it's been online. Uh, there is, uh, there's been a lot of chatter about it, especially on Twitter. Russell's uh, Twitter is really his main platform for communication. Uh, Twitter for me is a great line of communication as well because I think that it's an adult conversation. I don't mean like let's talk about boobs. I mean it's like an adult conversation. We talk about different uh, topics and it's different than Facebook where – you know, we go on and we bitch and moan about stuff. And it's different than Instagram where we go on and we just brag about shit. Twitter is a little bit more of a conversation that goes in multiple, multiple, takes multiple alleys uh, all the time. And I'm a massive fan of Twitter. I love it. I love the conversations. I love the people that I've become friends with on Twitter. Seriously. I'm not even kidding you. I've met people that I've been friends with on Twitter in multiple different arenas, whether it be doing an event or in the restaurant or in the kitchen. And it's nice because people walk up and they're like, hey, chef, can I get a picture with you? I follow you on Twitter. And I'm like, well, who are you? 
Oh my God, you're Bob Beans, fourteen twenty-two. It's nice to meet you, man. You know, and I realized the other day that I follow sixteen thousand people on Twitter, and and at the same time, I even posted this. How do I follow sixteen thousand people on Twitter? I can't even find my goddamn car keys. How am I able to follow sixteen thousand people? So anyway, that's neither here nor there. What I want to do right now is I want to get uh, my buddy. Uh, my friend, uh, Mr. Russell Davis, on Duffified Live. Mr. Russell Davis, what's going on, brother? How's it going, Duffy? Not too shabby, man. Not too shabby. What's going on with you? Ah, you know, life's been a little bit crazy. It's nice to reconnect with you. It's been a while. Has been a couple uh, of years. <laughs> it's been a couple of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, life, uh, never really slowed down for me and got crazier and, um, got a nice little story to tell. Well, and that's one of the reasons why you're on. So before we get into the story, uh, you got to just do me a favor real quick. I want you to tell me, uh, who you are, what you do and how we can get in contact with you. Uh, so my name is Russell Davis. I am an international business uh, consultant specializing in liquids and hospitality <laughs> and uh, a little bit of an adventurer and philanthropist as well. Uh, you can okay. get in touch with me through LaMonera.org or at my Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, which are all at Mr. Russell Davis, M-R-R-U-S-S-E-L-L-D-A-V-I-S. Very nice. All right, so where are you right now? I'm in Carthage, Texas, the Piney Woods of East Texas, right on the 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 Camino Royale, Real, my friend. So I Davey, just opened, where what? Where ahead, Davy where, Crockett and all the heroes of the Alamo passed through. Nice. I was at the Alamo last year. It's nice. a tiny little fucking building, dude. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it was a, there was a, it is a little tiny fucking building, man. And if you ever like, and if you ever like read about like, okay, so one, have you ever heard about like Ozzy Osbourne getting banned from Texas for like seven years or something like that for peeing on the Alamo? No, go for it. Tell me that story. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, everybody knows that like, well, not everybody, but I mean like Ozzy Osbourne was like banned for Texas for like peeing on the Alamo. Um, but he's like. (laughs) <laughs> so talk about like a misunderstood dude you know like everybody's giving him a hard time for like doing drugs and partying but like everybody's making money he's making hits and he's just kicking ass you know he's, he's like a rock star so yeah you know he's kind of living it up like no one's you know but but <laughs> so when he was playing in san antonio um and i think it was sharon and it could be wrong um but uh, apparently he was so fucked up on drugs and everything they didn't want him to uh, leave his hotel room. And so they took all of his clothes, right? But Sharon left his, her dresses. And so they took all of his clothes and his wallet and everything and, uh, and his keys. And um, then uh, he woke up in the hotel room. There was nothing but Sharon's dresses. So he put one of Sharon's dresses on. And he stumbled out of the hotel room and then locked himself out. And then, like, tried to just find a place to pee. And then, like, apparently, like, he peed on this, like, wall, and it happened to be the Alamo. And, uh, yeah, so he was banned from Texas for peeing on the Alamo in a dress. If I were Ozzy Osbourne, the first <laughs> thing after I was banned from Texas, I would buy a really big fucking house in Texas. <laughs> it would literally be the first thing yeah. that I did. 
I'd be like, oh, cool. You want to ban me? I just bought a fucking house. (laughs) Tell me what to do now. (laughs) Now I'm a Texas resident, bitches. (laughs) And you can call me a rancher. It's like Tommy Lee Jones, you know, apparently on his tax stuff, he says rancher. Really? But he he does own a ranch. Doesn't he own something out in Montana? Uh, You know, I don't know about Montana, but he owns a lot of property in Texas. Or years ago, he did at least. Tommy Lee Jones was like, yeah. I found 125,000 acres for sale in Montana for $100,000. Holy yeah, shit. Exactly. Okay. Think about it. I is mean, in reality. Still, is, is that still for sale? I have no idea. I was passing by. I rode through. I took a picture of the sign because I would totally have bought it. Not that I have a hundred grand laying around. But uh, uh, I loved it. I love that whole area, that, man. That Pacific Northwest. That's like a buck twenty-five an acre. Right? Oh my god, dude! Well, I mean, obviously, it's completely undeveloped and the whole nine yards. But yeah, you but totally you might as well like pop the twenty out of your pocket and just buy twenty-eight, you know, fifteen acres. Yeah, for that let me, I'm just gonna a deposit. <laughs> I'm just gonna hold on to these. I want these five acres and the glasses. I want the, and this ashtray. Uh, <laughs> and those and those soaps. I'll take yeah, the soaps. And these, too. and these so and this smoking jacket. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, that's a reference to a great fucking movie called The Jerk. Okay, so if you don't know The Jerk, I highly suggest you sit down on your fancy TV and Netflix that shit and laugh with Steve Martin and burn it at Peter's, unlike anything you've ever done before. I was I was born a poor black child. I was born a poor black child. So uh, I went out for some. Uh, I was out last night for. Uh, I did some jazz and some gospel. And some blues oh, yeah? and some reggae in a little place called BB's Jazz Bar in uh, St. Louis. Yeah. Oh, you're in St. Louis. Yeah. Cool. Good little town, man. It's not bad. I didn't realize that the uh, the cops just hate people out here. They shoot everybody, mostly black people. <laughs> just, I just heard just the whole story out. last night. I was shocked. You know, that's you funny was... because – what's that? No, oh, no, no, no. Uh, that's funny because like in Central America where I was like all the police have guns, but they don't trust them with them. So none of them have bullets. So, <laughs> dude, I was in Bonaire. I was in, in uh, the Dutch Caribbean a couple of years ago when I had gotten first gotten divorced. Uh, I booked a trip to the Dutch Caribbean with my buddies and we all get in the car and uh, we were out hardcore, like driving a truck because everybody was diving. And we were out hardcore at night and the cops pulled us over because the scuba instructor who was with us went to go get in the car and the cop comes over and he's like, you're too drunk. You're too drunk. And he gets in the car and he turns and he's like, where do you live? He goes through this whole thing and he, and he, and he turns the car around and he's like, you're going the wrong way. And he turns the car around. <laughs> gets out of the car and he's like, now be very careful getting home. <laughs> there literally were six fucking dudes in the back of like an 86 Toyota truck and her in the front seat driving us home and she wasn't going the right direction. So he turned the car around for us. That's my, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Weird. You know, you gotta, lo- you gotta love the Dutch. You gotta I love the story. Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so so we're getting way off track here. So let's talk oh, about worry. so let's talk about kind of what has been going on for the last couple of years. You 
Uh, I know you got pretty deep involved in Costa Rica. At one point, just so everybody knows, at one point, Russell and I had a podcast together. It was called Road Rash, um, and we had a lot of fun doing it. But the biggest problem that we had was really the coordination of trying to get the two of us together at the same time, which obviously then turned into like tensions and stuff like that. And so we kind of stopped the show. We stopped the podcast. And we kind of went our separate ways for a while. And here we are. That's actually a perfect way to describe it. And it was weird because, like, you know, people would – I remember in the last discussions, you know, some of the last discussions you and I had was like, uh, you know, Russell, you're hard to get a hold of. And I'm just like, yeah, I am. (laughs) And, you know, and that's what – it was really the tough thing is that, like, um, you know, between, you know, your schedule and then – and, and my popping around, which I was doing a little different, you know, a lot of people didn't realize it and are just now starting to see it. Not even you really knew, um, besides my descriptions, but, um, you know, I was really going through some dangerous places, uh, uh, during, you know, and really like in kind of, uh, a renegade off the grid style way. Uh, and yeah, so like even, even some of the times that we would be able to connect, like I couldn't get like, you know, I would have think I would be able to get the great Wi-Fi and then we'd sit down and then like technical difficulty would happen, you know, and it just, it just like, it, it was tough. It was, we got road rashed by our own road rash. <laughs> exactly. So, um, all right. So now kind of moving forward a little bit, you took off the last time I saw you was in Vegas and then, uh, mm-hmm. we didn't see each other. You were, you had a traveling partner with you at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. it was a, a, a young girl. I can't remember her name. Hannah. Hannah. That's right. I liked her. She Hannah. was a cool chick. Yeah. Hannah was a cool chick. She yeah. still is a cool chick. Yeah. Oh, good. Nice. Good to hear. And then, so uh, what happened? Where'd you guys go? What'd you guys do? Uh, well, so, um, you know, on the first part of my runs and everything, we were, we were, uh, well, what we actually, I think the last time we talked was, was I would had just landed in Barbados. I remember. Um, yeah, so we, I did Barbados, uh, did all of the, a lot of the Caribbean, um, Curacao, Trinidad, Tobago, uh, you know, went into, um, South America, uh, down the Amazon, took a cargo ship, uh, from the TC of Colombia through Brazil down into Quito, uh, went into the most dangerous market in the world in Berlin. Uh, and basically, you know, I, I had started doing this uh, before, um, but then really uh, got deep into, well, one, just uh, doing as many projects uh, as possible and, and making as many connections, but also um, diving into uh, some research that I've been doing for years, uh, but basically studying indigenous cultures and uh, the ancient ways of drinking, basically. Um, going into tribes and, and finding stuff that uh, has been forgotten before we lose it. And I had started that a while back, but then I kind of, I kind of just fucking dug the fuck in the past two or three years. Um, it's taken me uh, quite a few places uh, since then. Got to do a little bartending stint on the Orient Express for 20th Century Fox and did Europe and brought some bartenders back to Texas, opened up a bar in Texas um, which actually has led to a kind of a controversy um, uh, over its closure that has to do with uh, um, some bigger situations that uh, I'm in a lawsuit. I'm not in the lawsuit, but press the lawsuit against uh, a major company against and haven't been able to talk about it. But 
after all this, I was uh, kind of wrapping up everything. Um, and I started doing a lot of philanthropy, um, trying to help out uh, people as much as possible. I'd already, uh, you know, Duffy, you're the same way. Um, you make sure that you give back, you know, quite a bit. Um, I try. Especially, yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, sorry if I'm forgetting the name right now, but you do the, the military. The mess lords, with the military. Yeah. yeah, the mess lords, you know. Um, that's quite a bit of time, you know, what you do there and effort. Uh, and it's cool. And so, you know, uh, I've done the same thing uh, in different fashions with bartending and different organizations. But then, quite frankly, it got to the point where, you know, I, 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 I would be with people in these countries, in these third world countries. And, you know, I just found it easier just to give directly to them. Um, so I did some things to help get some vaccines in the rainforest with Seamary Quebecer and some legal help and shoes and computers for um, different uh, other indigenous like the Broran and, 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 and different other uh, Central American tribes and also really, really digging in and studying some ancient stuff. That, now, do they uh, need computers, though? I mean, I'm just asking. I always wonder this uh, when, you know, when the the uh, the white man shows up in these places and it's like this guy. Did you hear about the guy just recently? Who went to an island? It was the most un. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Indian island. And they fucking murdered him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah, they he murdered. got a kayak. He he went in, he went out there for like twice. So yeah. like he hired some guys, got a kayak. He was trying to do some mission work and just like start singing and uh, bringing the Bible to him and got shot by an arrow. Right. I I don't know exactly how he died. All I know is that this motherfucking white dude <laughs> showed up on an island trying to tell a, a, an an ancient tribe one of the like the most you know they're like one of the most remote tribes that are out there like that they need to accept Jesus into their life and they killed him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they don't even know what he's doing. I mean, they don't know what a book is, you know, much less. Right. You know, so that's yeah, my question. I mean, so, do yeah. they need a computer? Well, so the computers, no, I would not. So that's actually a kind of a problem in like, if you just take a computer, like to those people, I mean, you actually cause severe mental breakdown in that society. Um, because it's, it's kind of like what I've seen with the Quebecer, you know, they, they, they'll see a cell phone and the images on a cell phone and it literally tears apart their whole belief system. And then they wander out of the jungle because they're having a mental episode and they get picked up outside the indigenous territories and people think they're crazy or homeless. But the, the computers I was specifically getting were for the Terrabah Ran who are fighting uh, the Issei and the government against a hydroelectric dam, which is going to destroy their land. Uh, and so they're dealing with human rights lawyers and all this kind of stuff. And they're trying to do it from cracked cell phones. And they're trying to read like contracts and stuff like that. So I got them shoes so that they could go to, I got the, the leader shoes so we could go to um, uh, human rights classes and uh, computers so that they can uh, uh, actually track what they're doing with the, the lawyers that inherently they have to deal with. Um, you know, all based upon people coming in and taking their land hundreds of years ago anyway, you know. Damn. Boom. <laughs> Damn. So like, there. Well, well, it's like even, you know, like the, the Seamary Quebecer, which I, so I was studying banana chicha. So banana chicha is like this ancient way of doing, you know, basically like banana fermented, but in this Chiripo indigenous reserve, people don't realize like a great 
big percentage of Costa Rica is international, like indigenous law, like not necessarily Costa Rican law. Like you walk on that land, you're under Quebec or law. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, so like I was tracking down this banana chicha, Chiripo has this, the best bananas I ever had. And it's this ancient way of making this drink, which they do with their hands and these Hikara bowls with holes in them. Uh, it's kind of funny because like you'll see them like pick their nose or like run their hands through their hair. And the next thing you know, they're like handling your banana chicha and you right. hand it to you. And you're just like, oh, it's delicious. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sanitation standards are a little bit lower than what we expect. Yeah, a little bit lower, yeah. But, you know, the, 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 the big thing is that uh, uh, they, they uh, I'm, I'm helped like I got them. is like retroacting what other people have done. So, like, normally – you know, I wouldn't need to get him vaccine. So we got in there, um, you know, we had to take a 68 Huey helicopter in there uh, the first time around. Um, and then, uh, you know, like one with the, the, the floorboards ripped out so that the, the pilot could see the ground because apparently the controls don't work in that part of the <laughs> rainforest. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, there's no roads, there's no maps. The only other way to get into is like this fucking eight to 12 hour, 10 to 12 hour hike across many rivers. It's like dangerous shit. Like the last time I did the hike with supplies, we literally had a fucking horse fall off the mountain, like fell off with supplies gone. Right. And, and, uh, uh, it was, yeah, I mean, (laughs) and so, uh, you know, we, we get out there, but then you've seen like, how other people have decided to help. And like, you know, you'll get a church group that, uh, you know, they decide that the way to help is to take these people a bunch of gifts and clothes, right? And people don't realize that they only need like two sets of clothes. And, you know, these toys that they're being given, at least unwrap them, you know. Um, but I come in and then all these clothes are piled up around and they, they clothes inherently brought in chemicals and diseases and now they need vaccinations, you know, and and so then I had to arrange all of that uh, to happen too because that was a motherfucker. But yeah. so, how, how, so, and why do you, why were you why do you feel that you were kind of chosen to be the person to do that? I mean, why 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 is it not why was it not left up to a doctor or something like that? Well, so it had been, you know. That's that's what's interesting too is that. No one had helped them. Um, you know, the, the medical reserve had all the vaccines, actually, that they had had the medical supplies and stuff for years, but they didn't have a way to transport them. Uh, and then the government wasn't, you know, giving them the support to actually get the stuff there. Uh, and then um, even on top of it, like the contracts that the government would make people take to get things there, like, they, you know, you couldn't buy the cheap helicopter. You had to go with the government helicopter to to, to transport the vaccines and it just you know uh it it just got weird i even got like uh, you know i had to to slow down on it because my lawyers were telling me that uh, i was spending too much money on on doing it that i was gonna get flagged for being a drug dealer or something we had to run through nonprofits, so we like contacted like eight nonprofits. who didn't do anything and then casa presidential um who didn't do anything and finally we just like held everybody accountable and we're like hey you know, put, we put them all, I put them all in a WhatsApp group, a helicopter company, the teachers and seamery, um, myself, uh, one of the lawyers and literally the, the medical doctors of the preserve. And I was like, okay, guys, this is happening. I'm, I'm going to pay for everything. What needs to happen? 
uh, and then as soon as that started happening, I held everybody accountable. It, it kind of started going in line. You know, I, I bought the horses or some horses and, uh, paid for a lot of other supplies so that we could build an albergue for sustained medical help, paid for the satellites and, um, the Wi-Fi out there so they could set up an actual medical system for them now. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, it just, it was just unfortunate that no one, it, it, it took someone like me to one, provide the necessary support structure and then two, hold everybody accountable to be like, why aren't you fucking doing this? Right. It, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, like, I don't, how did it go from being like the banana into the whole other world? I mean, is it like, it's almost like you were kind of sucked under into stuff going through the whole thing. I mean, well, I mean you know, it's, it's, it's hard not to, to connect with certain people, you know? Um, oh, totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, the, the Quebecer for, yeah. And oh, where, you know, where, like where in Costa Rica are, are the Quebecer and, and what kind of, a, and are they like an indigenous tribe down there? Is there a lot of people? Is oh, there a small yeah. so, amount? So, Is it? So, so it's, it's there. The Quebecer are an indigenous people. Right. And okay. uh, this community was actually called the Seamary Quebecer. Um, and there's some ancient stuff uh, that they call themselves the first people. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, but I, I know I've heard that before and I know that yeah. there's a lot that had to do with, um, especially in, in, in that portion of the world that they do, do they were, a lot of them consider themselves to be like the initial humans. In yeah. Life. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some stuff that I'm tracking there that it's, it's very possible that, um, you know, a lot of that civilization actually came from Panama and Costa Rica and in that oh. area. Yeah, yeah, and specifically Chiripo. So I've been tracking some stuff there for a while. You know, there's there's some artifacts there that are Chortega, that are ancient race of, of stuff that, uh, you know, we're, they're still studying what, what years they were around. And, uh, right. you know, it's interesting because they've seen the southernmost Aztec and the northernmost Incan, you know, southernmost Mayan culture there. And, you know, everybody thinks that it possibly worked down there, but I actually think some of it came from there. I, I uh, was working with a chocolate company out of Ecuador where we – um, you know, they, they basically have discovered a cacao bean in Palanda that is the first domestic use of cacao. And it predates the history of cacao by 1300 years. So everybody thought that cacao was, came from the ancient Nihual Aztecs, uh, around Isla Mescala and Mexico city, you know, now Mexico city, but, um, in 2500 BC, um, but we, or 2200 BC, but we had just found, um, um, Wotoak did and, I'm helping, was going to help to uh, talk about this and actually show it to the world a little bit. But um, yeah, when they, they found a bean that the first domestic use was 3,500 years BC. And wow. this like literally changes the history books um, because the well, direction of culture was based upon the trade of cacao. What's that? They're finding tremendous evidence these days that are starting to really kind of question a lot of the history books you know with the oh, yeah. timeline of where we were and i mean you know they're finding they're finding artifacts and whatnot that are that are that are predating you know a lot of a lot of what has been told to us oh yeah you know, yeah the, a lot the, of they, questions about that especially when oh, it yeah, comes to just, like you know the the uh the pyramids and the whole nine yards that they're finding these things that are you know they were there you know 1500, 2000 years before the initial thoughts of, of humans, you know, really being there and doing anything. It was pretty wild. 
pretty yeah, wild. Yeah, I mean, ex- especially with the technology these days. You know, they, they just found uh, what's possibly the most ancient archaeological site in the Americas here in Texas, in Cl- Clovis culture. Um, so that's kind of interesting, you know. So right now I've been kind of tracking all that. And I, I've been tracking it through drinking. So, you know, like tracking ayahuasca down uh, the Amazon and seeing how it, uh, you know, kind of separated a little bit and, and different stuff. And, and yeah, so that banana chicha. Became a white man's spa treatment? <laughs> Dude, it's so messed up. Like so, what people what people call ayahuasca in the United States and those people they call shamans. Jeez, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's it's getting pretty weird. I mean, we're we're fucking everything up. Is really what we're doing. It's really uh, America. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it is. Everything. Oh, dude. Yeah. You know, like the hydroelectric dam that I was fight helping the Terab- the Terababuran fight. Yeah, like literally gonna destroy and, and by the way my numbers might be a little off it was somewhere around 1200 hectares of land displaced displaced 300 archaeological sites and like hundreds of people and it they don't even need costa rica doesn't even need the energy all of that energy from that hydroelectric dam is being sold to the united states and we use more energy per person than any other country in the world well, that I wouldn't doubt. I mean, they say that our footprint is what three million. Can't remember what it is. What the what the unit of measurement is, but they say that if you fly two times a year, you're already three quarters of a way through what you're supposed to use as your carbon footprint per year. Well, well, okay, well, wait, 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 now I, I, I'm lost. What does that mean? So basically what they're saying is that as like a, a, a per person on the planet, okay, our carbon footprint is supposed to be, I'm not 100% sure what the unit of measurement is, but it basically let's uh-huh. just say that, let's just say for shits and giggles, it's, it's, it's called the ass, the ass said tricks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what they're saying is that like, that if you fly twice a year, you've already utilized three quarters of the whatever the measure the unit of measurement is within two flights so a, a to and fro flight you've basically utilized three quarters of your footprint in the one year is the basics of what they say when it comes to to all of that i mean you know you and i fucked that up alone just oh, yeah, daily yeah. travels but um yeah 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 I feel, I'm, I'm 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 counting the I'm counting the trees that I killed. Yeah, one hundred percent. Traveling, yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you ever? Have you ever heard? Okay, so there's a there's a legend in the rainforest. You know, talking now that we're talking about green stuff. So, I think this is interesting that they say uh, a lot of this this legend comes from like southern Mexico and and around the Canyon and Mayan tribe stuff. But when the last mahogany tree dies, the world will end. Interesting, right? Yeah. And so science has actually proven, well not proven, but scientists have said that that's actually true. So that the mahogany is the in, is one of the indicator species of the rainforest. And if all the mahogany trees do die, it means the rainforest is dead. And yes, the world's going to end. 
Well, I mean, we're cool. at that point. I mean, we've already we've already established the kind of you know they've already started talking about the situation with what's going on right now. That unfortunately, most of the politicians that are are out there are in complete and utter denial. I mean, the salmon they were saying the the uh, uh, the salmon spawning that was happening up in Washington uh, or up in Alaska. Um, because of the fact that the temperature has risen so much that they they had lost in this one uh, uh, this one general area they had found 850 dead salmon within this one let's just say quarter mile stretch of river which they were that that in 2016 they had predicted that loss for like 2035. And then it mm. happened three years later mm. just because of the slight changes that are happening in global warming and everything that's happening with that, with, with, with the melting of, of glaciers and, you know, the earth basically warming up and that within a one quarter mile stretch of the run for the salmon that are spawning at that point, they had 850 dead salmon. And that was just in that one stretch. And that wasn't supposed wow. to happen for another like 30 fucking years. Dude, that's pretty crazy, actually. You know, and if you think about the little, and that's the little stuff that the that the Earth is telling us, like, you know, everybody needs to fucking back off. Everybody needs to slow down. But you know, well, we'll, we'll think, never get I to that think, point until there's money that comes from, you know, that part actually happening. Well, you know, how how many people are in the world right now? You know, what is the? I don't even know what is that number. It, it's like supposed to be seven point one or seven point. Chase, do you know? Chase, do you know what the number is? One billion? No, I don't. Oh, yeah. Well, damn, dude. I, I mean, but, dude, by the way, I think... That's a sexy fucking voice back there, by the way. <laughs> Jason was like, no, I don't. That was like Barry White shit. That was like Isaac Hayes I was listening to last night. <laughs> yeah. But by the way, I think we're way the fuck off on the number. Either way. Like, I yeah. think that there's so many fucking people, and we're just like, go. I mean, it was like six billion just a couple of years ago, and now it's like 7.1 or 7.7. And I think that literally we're just like going, oh, shit, man, everybody's going to know. I think that's the global conspiracy. The global conspiracy is that there's more fucking people on this planet than people know, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think that there are still a tremendous amount of, one, un uninhabited regions. Two, there's a lot of fucking people out there that are like, no, man, I don't live here. Yeah. No, I mean, man. have, have you have you ever been to Hong Kong and seen like those cages where people are living and Kowloon and stuff? Dude, fuck like, all that. Think, just look at San Francisco. Oh man, it's 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 worse than San Francisco and in, in Kowloon, but yeah, San Francisco. Uh, LA is LA's five hundred five hundred square miles. Is that right? Am I correct in that number? I don't know. It's about it's five hundred square miles, and there's thirteen million people that live in that 500 square mile radius. San Francisco is 50 square miles and there's 7 million people that live there. Jeez. So in one tenth of the space, we have one half of the people. It's a disgrace, man. I mean, it's really bad. Yeah. It's really bad. I mean, just the, the the natural part of what's going on out there. I mean, and then we still have defunct buildings, but there's there are there are land developers and there are basically landlords that are buying old hotels, taking the one room and turning it into a four a four room apartment, and they're charging oh, yeah. three hundred. 
Oh yeah. Have oh, you yeah. seen the pods that they're doing now? Where they're like oh, yeah, yeah. pods, it's like fucking twelve millennials living in bunk bunk beds with with iPhone chargers. Oh yeah. Shared yeah. Wi-Fi, shared cable, the whole nine yards, and they're charging you know like three grand. It's it's like living in a hostel for like a really oh, expensive. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh yeah, but, yeah, but it's it, in in San Francisco. You know, it, it used to be like a hub of culinary mixology and food and stuff, but it yeah. got so expensive that really nothing. I mean, there's I'm not gonna say nothing's great there, but you know, you don't have that same talent or that same thing going on there because people people in the service industry just can't afford to live there anymore, right? It is. It's. I mean, they're just pushing, and that's the thing. They're pushing people out. They've built so much. They've built so much in all the industry out there, and it's just. I mean, it's pure mayhem, man. I mean, I feel bad for the people that live out there. You know, there's people that are like the houseboats. You look at some of the stuff in, in the some of the outer lying areas. Some of these houseboats and stuff that are out there. They're starting to just. People are just living on boats. How, oh, dude? I you know when I first moved to San Francisco, I bought a sailboat. Ever tell you that? I live no. in a sailboat. Oh, I so 2012. No, sorry, 2010. Got my first like top three bartender of the year ranking. Moved out to San Francisco to work at Bourbon and Branch and Rickhouse in Texas. Never been to California before. Always dreamt of sailing. Like so much being a sailor that, like my ex girlfriend had bought me the encyclopedia for sailing for Christmas, right? Which fucking sucks. <laughs> I didn't have a fucking sailboat, right? So. I go there and, I'm, and I have this crazy idea, like the cheapest thing is going to be to live on a boat, this spy boat. And I find this sailboat. It's a 1937, no, sorry, 1932, 37 foot yawl, yawl boat, which a yawl was a double masted wooden boat. Okay. Right. And had a wooden hull. And I bought this thing for $5,000 and moved on it and I knew nothing could not it, it wasn't saleable I was gonna fix it up and this thing was constantly sinking so apparently these worms that are in this like I should have known about boats before I bought it well, dude you bought but a boat worms. from 1932 for five grand oh. oh yeah 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 and it was it was it was a big wooden boat I mean I was I lived on it for like you know, two months, like literally like barbecuing on deck and doing everything. But like people would be like, you need to take it out. And I'm like, I don't know how, you know, <laughs> and, and like this, there's these worms that would like dig into the wood planks. They would work themselves down the planks and then they would exit. And so it had all of these leaks. So this thing had a bilge pump in there that like every two hours or so it was like pumping the water as it was sinking out of it. So it was constantly seeking too. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> I, I was in the water trying to plug all these holes and stuff. And I remember like a feeling like a stingray or some kind of something, uh, brush piney. And literally I popped out and I'm just like, you know, the, the sound of the bilge pump going off every two hours when I was sleeping and it constantly sinking with all my things on it. It just finally like, I was like, okay, maybe this wasn't the right decision. <laughs> so I had to sell it. My buddies, yeah. my buddies are all, they're all boat guys and, uh, it's just a constant fucking problem. Yeah. Constant you know, problem. I, I mean, my buddy's a sailor. He sails all over the world. Like he's a very accomplished sailor. 
And I've been on boats with him. I'm like, dude, I'm fucking tired just watching you, like, get ready to go to bed. <laughs> what you've got to do with all that stuff. I couldn't imagine buying a 1932 boat. Well, but, I had I had a dream of like sailing around the world, like on a sure. sailboat, and I, I might still do that, you know. But uh, um, that was that was the beginning of the dream. But then I, you know, so I read this article about this one guy that did it, and he would literally have to wake up every twenty or thirty minutes to like watch the horizon to make other sure other big boats didn't just like crash. Oh, Jesus. Sounds yeah. so fucking relaxing. You know what? I'm, yeah, I'm right? going to sandals. <laughs> I'm going to sandals. I'm going to rent the fucking catamaran. I'm going to have the guy who's trying to bang my girlfriend. You know, and I'll just go and smoke a joint on the island and I'll be fine. I'm just going to go and find a fish hut and I'm good. I don't need to watch. Swipe the credit, swipe the credit card. No, uh... fuck the credit card. I'm just going to go down, man. It's like the Zach Brown song, you know? Just go down to Sydney Islands. Good. Yeah, that's so funny that you just said it that way too. It's like I was thinking the same thing, you know, like sailing around the world, waking up every twenty minutes. Yeah, that's fucking relaxing. Whatever. Then there's these guys that do like the extreme sailing. You know, they're like, I'm gonna sail from I don't know Philadelphia to fucking Japan in the world's fastest time, and I'm gonna do it by myself. I'm like, fuck that, dude. Oh, we we know I. I, I did the drinks for those World Cup guys that did like the San Francisco sailing thing a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, those islands, the Farallon Islands. So the yeah. San Francisco, that's the Red Triangle. You know what the Red Triangle is? You ever heard no. of Red Triangle? No. 90% of great white shark attacks in the world happen between San Luis Obispo, I think it's Bodega Bay, and the Farallon Islands right there at the bay, right? And so those little, those little like boat guys were going around the Farallon Islands on some race. And apparently one of them tipped over, right? And they were like, no one found any bodies, right? And I was a marine, marine mammal. I, I was with the Marine Mammal Center and started to be a stranding and rescue volunteer. And so I talked to some guys and we found out that literally like everyone on that boat that was tipped over was probably eaten by sharks. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. Great whites. The story behind California's <laughs> red triangle is terrifying, but true. Only in your state. California is famous for its gorgeous beaches, but a particular stretch of ocean that has a bloody reputation. California's red triangle is the site of over one third of great white shark attacks. The danger zone. Oh, begins I said around- 80%. Yeah, that was wrong. The danger zone begins around Bodega Bay and extends south about 50 miles west of San Fran. The triangle juts out beyond the Farallon Islands and down to Big Sur, south of Monterey. The triangle encompasses about 200 miles of coastline. And they literally have a fucking picture of a great white, like, ready to suck your leg in. So oh, why, dude, dude, there's, so they, there's videos of them, like, dropping, like, fake seals in there. And, like, it takes seconds. And these sharks are just like, boom. So it's 30 and eating things. Eight percent of all great white shark attacks happen in the relatively small area. They believe it's due in part to the plentiful elephant seals, harbor seal, sea lions, and sea otters. While sharks do attack humans, they actually prefer to feed on these. Well, no shit. I would prefer to feed on a fucking fat thing too. I don't want to eat a human. I want to eat a big fat thing like a manatee. Oh, Even man. though this phenomenon Royal may beast. sound scary, it's important to remember that shark attacks are pretty rare. Only five to fifteen percent of humans are specifically hunting humans for food. That, so that's, it's literally only oh, wait, five wait, wait. to 15% of them are fucking nasty. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Okay. By the way, I have yeah. never heard that number and that scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Cause, cause so everybody's like, 
Yeah. Five. <laughs> so yeah. out of out of out of out of ten ten fucking sharks hanging out. One point five of them. One point five of them want to fuck you up. <laughs> what? That's so much worse than the Only biologists. Only five like to fifteen percent of them are fatal. Rather than specifically hunting humans for food, sharks are thought to be naturally inquisitive creatures and research. Well, you know what? They're normally attacking like the jackasses, like the oh, oh. guys that are out there with, you know, with a stick. And on the end of the stick, they've got a, a carp. No, that, no, they're, they're not. They're, they're never fucking with those jackasses. That's the guy that's always cool. It's the dude that's just like swimming like me, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the guy that's in like. Yeah, yeah, it's like the guy that's in like the inches of water that they shouldn't be able to get into. You know, oh, I was only at 16 inches of water and he was eaten by a great white shark, you know? Like, Beware <laughs> of the shark infested waters of Northern California's infamous red triangle. Okay, so look up the sailboat one, like the race, the sailboat race. Around the, the red white triangle? Shark. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, the, it, it should sail. be real. I mean, this is, I'm pretty, pretty. I, I was pretty weirded out that more people didn't talk about this. Like an entire boat tipped over, cro- coming around the Fairline Islands, and they're like, "Yep, no bodies." You know, like in like shark attack breeding. Dude, ground. I need to Google a different thing because this is literally. I wrote red triangle sailing, and I now have what red red triangles mean in the lore of sailing. Sail boat. <laughs> the sailboat lore race. There we go. Red triangle sailboat race. Uh, now it's giving me the fucking rules. Whatever. We get it. Okay. Anyway. So go ahead. All right. So let's go back. Let's go back down to Costa Rica for a little while. Because okay. I want to get into I want to get into this stuff. And I know that there's a certain part of it that you can discuss. And there's certain stuff that you can't discuss. But let's talk about what the fuck happened in Costa Rica. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. Um, so uh, I was uh they're doing philanthropy and also a major project with the uh, Sheraton Grand Casino Escazoo. Um, and, uh, you know, Costa Rica to me is really, I've been trying to find a country that I really wanted to expat to, you know? And um, Costa Rica's got so much opportunity right now. It's no, no military, first country to go plastic free. Literally almost every country does business there. Um, uh, the Colone is the number one seen currency in the world. I, that's, I've heard a couple of times, you know, depending upon what you're looking at, uh, as far as the statistics, uh, and, and has transit lines from the, the South and the I'm sorry, the East and the West to Guanacaste and Limon to Africa, Europe, Australia, uh, China, uh, and then North and South with the, uh, transit lines into North America and down to the Panama Canal. So there's just a level of safeties and culture there. I've seen a mixture, more mixture of culture than most countries have. Uh, and so I love it. And I was moving my companies internationally there as I was doing this project. And a system of things happened um, uh, that, uh, well, one that began with a very, um, what we're finding out uh, bad Costa Rican lawyer who was in charge of a lot of contracts and moving my company down. Now, when you say we, me. when you say we, what do you, what do you mean we? So, uh, originally it was some, me and some of my uh, business partners with my company unlimited liabilities. Um, but, uh, they, uh, those same business partners or not all of them, but 
Um, you know, there's some suspect of, of some things that happened when I was in Costa Rica uh, that we're still trying to track down. So quite frankly, I don't know um, everything there. Uh, but basically, while I was in Costa Rica uh, and moving all of my companies internationally and uh, setting up that stuff, uh, I got fucked. Let's just say that. <laughs> and uh, I got I got fucked by a lot of people. Uh, well, it was just a couple of people at first, um, but then they misadvised other people, which led uh, to um, a lot of people because uh, I was not in contact. I was literally in the rainforest doing stuff. Um, and some people took advantage of the situation. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, basically stateside or stateside or in Costa Rica. Um, both. Well, it, it started out with a misadvisement from a Costa Rican attorney who had cost me a lot of money and was having a, uh, uh, well, I, you know, I don't want to say too much, but having some problems himself. Uh, and then, um, the structures that I had back in the U S, um, some people got misadvised and did some things that, uh, you know, they pulled some mental health stuff on me when that wasn't happening. Um, which was kind of weird. Like, uh, they, I came out with a Forbes article a little while back about, uh, being bipolar, right. uh, and it's something that I've worked on for a long time. Which by and, the way, was, was, I, I texted you after that article came out and I said, mm-hmm. congratulations to you and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, thanks. cause I thought that was a big fucking deal, dude. That's a big you know, to make that public statement and allow that to that vulnerable vulnerability to come out from, you know, especially somebody who's doing stuff in the public eye and, and stuff like that. That was a big move, dude. So I was I was well, proud of you for that. Just so you know, I appreciate that. Well, you know, it's something that I worked on for a long time and and uh, I handle and I, I I commit a lot of time and and respect to that part of my being. Um, that's important. It was important to me to talk about it, uh, because it has become such a thing, especially after Anthony Bourdain killed himself. Um, you know, I felt like we need to talk about it even more. Uh, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of that ties back to even bar rescue, you know, um, I, I, a lot of the times that, uh, <clears throat> there were certain things happening. Um, you know, I, I was literally ramped up on lithium and I'd vibrate on camera trying to pour liquids. Uh, and people would think I was hung over having the shakes and I would kind of commit to letting people thinking I was drinking, um, other than actually knowing that I was slurring my words because my doctor had me so ramped up on Xanax or I was having the shakes from too much of the salts of the lithium in my body. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting because <laughs> now I'm going back and telling people like, you know, I, uh, that was what was really happening there. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was important for me to kind of talk about that. Uh, but unfortunately it got used against me and it got used against me, um, by, uh, by, uh, uh, the Costa Rican attorney. And then also, um, a couple of, uh, possibly and this, by the way, this is also, <laughs> right now, this is allegedly, uh, but by possibly a couple of business partners and, led to them telling other people things that literally I had multiple companies and multiple structures and people that were supposed to be moving out and show up, bringing me their support to Costa Rica. And I was buying properties and literally everything just started disseminating. Um, and through the course of all this, 
And by the way, I haven't released this info because it's no one's fucking business. But I had been to my therapist in in the United States. Um, uh, I had two Skype calls across the, this time, and then had one with my uh, one Costa Rica with a Costa Rican attorney. So I had multiple. So I'm, I'm getting like my own clean bills of health. Right. As people are in the U.S. telling saying I'm going crazy or something. Right. right. And um, <laughs> and, but well, it's, I mean, it's no one's it, fucking big. Well, but it you also, know? I mean, you know, you know, when you do something outside of the norm, it's it's considered that, you know, you're a little eccentric when you do something that's really outside of the norm. It's considered, you know, that then you're crazy. I mean, think about it. if Jesus came back at this moment right now and stood in the middle of St. Louis and started to profess and 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 hold court and and become a preacher in the middle, he'd probably be arrested. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, in reality, I mean, in this he, he day and age, to walk there, to a place, and they would he could kick they'd him kick out, him out. Yeah. No shoes, no right. shirt, no dice. You know, I mean, <laughs> no like Jesus. that's that's dice. the world that we're in. That we're in such a world where when somebody does try to do, I mean, look at Elon Musk. Everything said Elon Musk is fucking crazy. Elon Musk is fucking crazy. But you know what? He is a brilliant mind who's doing something. So, so in that case, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, they, you know, they removed him from from his seat, you know, within Tesla and everything else because he smoked weed on Joe Rogan's podcast. You know, I oh, mean, did they really? Wait, wait, yeah, they dude, removed. Dude, man, buy that fucking stock the day after that podcast went live. What? Hell yeah. What oh, happened? Yeah, this was, tell, uh, tell about, uh, I, I know Joe, about the podcast because he talked about being in a simulation, which yeah, I think Joe I have, Rogan. You know, I'm fifty fifty on that. He was on. He was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, Joe Rogan Experience, which is one of my favorite podcasts out there. I love listening to this guy talk. And Elon Musk was on. It was a brilliant, brilliant interview. In my opinion, Joe Rogan did a great job. Elon Musk did a great job. He was super comfortable, super casual. But you can feel the weight of the world that Elon Musk has on his shoulders, whether that be a weight that he has placed there upon himself or a weight that has actually been placed on his shoulders. He has that weight. You know, I mean, he's, oh, yeah, he's got it. Oh, he, you know, he, I mean, he knows some. Shit. He knows some shit. We well, don't know, I mean, and man. that's the question: oh. Does he know some shit, or oh, he is does. he creating portions of this? You know, like his biggest thing that he's talking about during a lot of this was the artificial intelligence. You know, what's happening within AI, and that the government needs to get involved in that. Well, when you show up at white at the White House and you're like, "Yo, man, we got to talk about artificial intelligence," like they're gonna push you back and say, "Hey, let's go talk in a room." You know, it, it's not the normal conversation that most people are having. I mean, the guy's got a brilliant mind. And that's what I'm saying. You know, from the outside world, people that are looking at you and the stuff that you're doing, it's pretty obvious to say. I mean, I think it's a pretty good statement to say, all right, what's going on with Russell? You know, I mean, so from that outside yeah. appearance, you know, there's 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 a valid there's a valid statement there. You know, I've had friends say to me, like, Brian, what do you what the fuck are you doing, dude? You know, I mean, you came to me at one point, we had a conversation and you, you kind of filled me in on some stuff, you know, and, and, and I was like, all right, cool. Now that makes sense. And I understand where we are, you know, that was a big thing. So I can understand how your partners or, or somebody else would be like, all right, what's going on with Russell right now? You know, so <laughs> that part I do understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and you kind of want your partners and friends to, to be that way too. Right. Sure. Yeah, you know, and it the problem is, is when they don't they don't actually do what they should do to do it. Like, 
you know, like me having people call me up and being like, Russell, you're in a mania. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm literally like losing money in companies. And you guys are asking me, uh, uh, you know, I'm running out of my kingdom because my house is on fire. And you're asking me, I'm asking for help. And you're asking me what's in there, why is it there, and where does it need to go? Right. right. I'm just like, right. You know, <laughs> and it's and it's weird because, um, and I'm kind of referring a little bit to the hack and stuff like that. But it was interesting because during this time frame, um, you know, I'm literally like telling the people that are, you know, I'm having people message me, um, um, and we kind of skipped a little, a little bit of this, but um, um, yeah, I had taken over some bar projects afterwards and I started buying properties and then like stuff got weird. Like I couldn't get access to certain things um, and people, and like I started getting hacked and, and, and things and, and um, it just, it's just funny that these people that use my mental health against me would easily cut off the things to do it but not like listen to me telling them like I went to the doctors, I'm fine. If you really think I'm having a mental health breakdown, then fly here to Costa Rica now and either come get me or see that what I'm showing is what really, really happened. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and some of this actually had to do with the fact that I started discovering. Um, so I, I studied linguistics, archaeology, art history, and my main uh, um, focus was theater and dance in college, right? And, um, you know, I've always been like Indiana Jones in it. Like, even when you and I were doing Road Rash, like, I was sneaking into Tikal in Guatemala ha- after I'd bought, like, a, a Mayan monkey head off these grave robbers in Las Flores and, like, snuck into Tikal before sunrise and, like, snuck it up to the top of this temple and inserted it back where it was supposed to go. Right. You know, I, I like to do that stuff for fun. And so I collect antiquities and stuff. And quite frankly, I come across some stuff um, in Costa Rica. And when I was literally there and none of my people were coming, I'm like going online being like, I need help. I'm finding this stuff. Uh, and uh, people are calling me crazy. Um, so it was just kind of interesting. And um, right. yeah, and, and, you know, I'm having, you know, my lawyers call me up and they're like, Russell, you're having a breakdown. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then they're, they're like, well, I'm fine. like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, I am fine. Like, I'm, I'm like literally having to go out of my way to be like, I am fine, you know? And then they're like, uh, you know, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're not a, why, why do you think you, you've discovered this stuff? It looks like whatever. And I'm like, so I was like, I, I studied archaeology, linguistics, art history, and theater and dance, and a little bit of space in college. Like, went out of my way to study. Like, right. oh, well, you need to get back to being a celebrity bartender. I'm like, I haven't bartended since 2013. Uh, I've been traveling around the world starting businesses. I'd really like to grow from that. <laughs> and just interesting how people don't want you to, to get bigger. And and a lot of that also had to do with the fact that I started I started buying property. So as I was there, there was actually an economic collapse that happened as I was there. People were deep were literally dumping properties for pennies on the value. And I was structuring deals based upon the fact that um um, uh, uh, base, that was basing deals based upon the fact that uh, on profit revenues of certain companies, you know, like I'm a partner in shakerandspoon.com. I started an online network called Industry Network, which we're at rest right now because I'm filing, refiling some new trademark classes and stuff. I had, you know, Panasonic was making a documentary on me and I've got a show 
being shopped around uh, uh, to networks. Um, you know, there's a lot of different projects and limited liabilities. I started a, a, a liquor distribution uh, distributorship in Costa Rica, Aba Bear. Started Limitados Pasivos, another international company there. You know, and um, but because of the fact that I had been traveling around for the past three or four years, living in ten dollar hostels and arguing about the six dollar hammock and the you know <laughs> uh, and saving my foil. Um, you know, people thought when I actually did start slowing down and cashing out and trying to buy things that I was crazy. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so basically during this time frame, when all of my structures back in the United States had fallen apart because, uh, people used my mental health against me because of their own mistakes and, uh, I was going to fire them. Um, I got hacked. Uh, and so apparently I had not gotten necessarily hacked right then but apparently i'd been hacked and people have been in my systems for a while um in the past few weeks i hired some cybersecurity agents um or uh, that basically found out my my information was released on the dark web in 2015 and then um, i had actually had some ethical hackers go into my system and give me some information on a couple of places that I had been, like Chungking Mansions in Kowloon, Hong Kong, that they run illegal Afghani, Pakistani, and other Africans through. Uh, all doing drinking culture research is the reason I'm there. Um, or in Iquitos, Peru, in Berlin, that some other packers got into my system. And so in fe- uh, December and February, my Instagrams, my Instagram and my Facebook were shut down because someone put up an ISIS flag. And wow. it was shut down over terroristic behavior. Yeah. So do you, and, do you have any idea who, who was doing any of this hacking? I mean, is this. So, you know, now, you know, I, we don't, I don't really know what, I have a lot of people on this because in the process of all this, um, we just finding out a lot of stuff. Um, back when I reported it um, in February, you know, I was getting some threats on my emails that I didn't, I kind of ignored the reported because it wasn't really that big a deal. Like I don't do wrong things. So I wasn't really worried about it, you know? Um, but I, so who's, who was threatening you via email? Or I mean, that- you would, I would, I, I would literally get like spam mail that had like, you know, fake email addresses or just right. temporary email just set up, you know, and, and, and we get like Russell. I remember one of them was like, we've been logged into your computer you know, we're using this, 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 and watching your camera, you know, we've been watching you. And I'm, you know, the only thing I could think of was like, oh man, you know, damn it. They got me jerking off or something, right? Porn <laughs> sites. Fucking you porn. Oh, you Those porn. bank brothers. Uh, <laughs> but then I'm like, you know, I mean, that, that's the only thing that you could possibly get on me. So no, I won't send you this thousand dollars since account. Right. Um, you know, and reported it and then the whole that stuff going on. So I, and then for a, week, a few weeks, like I'd have weird stuff go on. And so when I was actually structured the deals on the buys of the properties and started trying to fill those contracts, um, I, 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 things were getting shut down. Like I, I would not get access to this or something would try to draw money for this. And then I had no idea what was going on. And so I got these ethical hackers, Alberto Daniel Hill and his team to try to unhack me. Um, and then that's when I lost, that's like, the, that's the ethical hacker. Is that what you were talking about? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so he so he's an ethical hacker that hacks corporations to you know find holes and sure. try to figure out what's going on. You know, um, and uh, uh, that's when I literally lost all connection. My electronics were getting hot, um, and I had to get to the border of uh, Panama, Costa Rica, because I had to cross over to get my visa. And so I'm on the way to Puerto Viejo or in Puerto Viejo. My electronics and all my cards and stuff are shutting down. I'm not getting access to certain things. Uh, and I uh, get rocked. Well, actually, two things happen. <laughs> One, I look at a property that, because uh, that, I'm still looking at properties, right? Still traveling around, looking at properties, getting hacked, not really caring about what's going on online, but knowing that I can get this all fixed, not a big deal, right? So I'm still looking at properties. And um, uh, there's guys telling me to take me to a farm uh, and want to say, hey, man, we, we've got this farm. We're selling it for cheap. Got to see it. Uh, and I go out to check it out. And it's a coca plantation. And, like, they've got these little fucking things, like, in the trees where they're making the cocaine. And I'm just like, fuck, I didn't want to see this. And so then I, I get back. I have no access to my electronics. Uh, and basically these guys threaten me because I'm not going to make an, you know, some offer on that. I get a hit out on me basically for not making an offer on the property, uh, or helping them with their coca plantation. So yeah, at first it was an offer to buy. And then the next thing it was like, well, can you lend us some money? Right. And I'm like, oh shit. You know, and I'm like, oh yeah, let me think about this. Just drop me off. <laughs> and, uh, and then some Nicaraguan guys, uh, literally robbed me of all my things. And, um, I go to the police, uh, and the police are tied in with all those drug dealers there, apparently, uh, the drug dealers that robbed me. And, um, and this is literally like, it's kind of funny. Cause like all the hacking stuff's going on on my computers and they're getting hot. And so like when the guys are robbing me in my own head, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, you take those electronics. You don't know what you're getting into right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, actually, you know, take them. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking in my head, but it, you know, um, uh, 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 but, uh, yeah. And, and the police are, you know, I go to the police. I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to get help. And then they're like, are you alive? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, remember that. And so then I have to get across to Panama real quick. And by the way, I don't even have shoes now because they, I'm, when I say they robbed me, I mean like they have everything almost of my stuff. Just, right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I have to like basically, uh, uh, hitchhike or a ride, um, to, the border, uh, barefoot and I do it. Um, and I get held there because they're wondering what the fuck's going on. And I'm trying to get their help. So they hold me and then they realize I'm not lying and telling them the truth. And they're like going to help me. And so then I cross into to Panama, get my stamp. Uh, and then I come back across, um, and, and they're actually like calling Panama and stuff and being like, Hey, make sure this guy's safe. Right. And then I get back across and then this immigration officer named Jim says he's going to help me. And he actually lets me stay at his place for a night. It's kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> we got drunk and he cried and we had this crying thing about his family. <laughs> it's kind of weird. This immigration officer. Um, but the next day he tried to extort me for money. And wow. uh, yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing about this is that I actually have video footage of a lot of this stuff going down. 
um, that uh, one of my business, new business partners, uh, Khalil Chapman, who's with a, a bar uh, or a brand called Lazymon that was a hostel that took me in while I was there because he knew me from television and was trying to help me out. Um, you know, I was like, Hey man, I still want to record footage of what we're doing because I'm still kind of working. I'm just trying to figure all this out. And so like, we literally have footage of like this immigration officer explaining what was going on. And then, um, I, and then him like trying to extort me for money and running off and, uh, uh, actually forgot that we were rolling. Um, I think that we still have it, that, that part, but we definitely have the interviews and stuff like that. Um, but then, you know, it basically had to to help uh uh so then because of the hit out on me i you know i couldn't even get from puerto viejo to san jose safely even riding a bus right so i had to get some drug pay some basically some good drug dealers to help get me from san uh puerto viejo to san jose safely um i do we spend the night in limon finally get back and as soon as i get back i'm able to get to the embassy get to my old business partners get say the embassy literally like gets me out of there um they found like hackers like starting to go into my facebook accounts and stuff like threatening people um and this this whole this whole situation went on for a few weeks like i couldn't have access to anything um and even when i would like send a message to somebody on skype oh like i had a friend named abdul ford uh he he just sent me uh pictures of this um but i sent him a message and i'm like hey you know do we haven't talked in a while because it was like a a b on skype so it was like one of the first contacts i could get to and i could get into skype for a moment um and i'm doing this all from borrowed computers and stuff and um because they stole all my electronics and i uh uh you know i would send like hey i'm an emergency i need you to send me like so even 100 bucks to paypal because i need to get out of here um and and he would try to send me messages back and something was blocking him from doing it. And so he like sent me pictures of that. And so now getting back, just seeing, you know, what was said and people actually use the ability to crucify me online um, on some stuff. And then these troll accounts popped up and it's just kind of weird uh, because I was raising money and starting a school uh, right before it all happened. And so I went online raising money and doing stuff and people use the, situation to call me a scammer and all this kind of stuff right uh but now i'm back and got back by the embassy uh there's actually a lot of other stuff that i saw that i'm kind of not talking about yet because i'm turning over the information um and just trying to work with everybody when filing a lot of stuff with the fbi and the cia uh well we've been trying to submit stuff to the cia and still waiting for them to kind of respond but i know they're doing their due diligence some stuff for sure so uh, cyber crimes unit and you're still doing stuff in costa rica yeah man i'm just gonna let it chill out you know the thing is is that uh um it's now i just need to because i because with all this that happened i literally had every account closed down so like every single bank account like shut down and uh, credit card accounts that I had major relationships with for years, never been like laid on a payment. Um, they shut down because there was so much fraudulent, weird stuff going on. And um, yeah, so now I'm kind of just rebuilding everything real quickly um, just to get back on track. But I was doing a substantial amount of work there. That's going to be, uh, yeah, just secured again. You know, uh, Costa Rica is one of the safest Central American and uh, Latin American countries there is. Um, what happened to me 
is only because I dig in so much. Um, I am, you know, I have no family. Uh, as far as the way that I operate my companies, I'm the first man in, last man out. Um, so part of me, if I'm buying properties and doing business there, is literally find out every single thing that's going on, whether it's knowing the drug dealers, knowing the police, you know, tied in. Um, you know, the, quite frankly, it surrounds you everywhere. Uh, it's better to know about it. Right. Yeah. I just, I just can't imagine that I would, I mean, I not even imagine, I just to, to, to put myself back into that situation, you know? Well, you know, this, this time around, a little, a little dicey. This time around, well, no, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, everything is, is safe and secure. Um, it's, it's now going back with the right team of safety around me. Uh, I mean, if, somebody's got to have, a, if somebody's got a hit on you in Costa Rica. Oh yeah. But it was just, it was just, it was literally, you know, if, if you saw the farm, you'd realize that these guys didn't matter beside in that specific area. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, yeah. And they really don't matter. You know, it was, um, it was, it, you know, when I say hit out, you know, everybody thinks about that, like, Oh, like they're calling up every gang member there is, you know, it's literally just in that moment in that area. Um, yeah. And being followed out, you know, basically, cause they were tracking me. Um, but they're very low level guys. And on top of all, all the information that I'm submitting will literally could put all that. Wow. Shit. Yeah. I hope nobody puts a fucking hit out on me because I'm talking to you, brother. Oh, man, I can't promise anything. <laughs> I feel like I lived every action movie. Yeah, I feel like I lived every action movie that I ever watched in the past few weeks. So It's fucking nuts, yeah. dude. That's crazy. Oh, so, man, and I got, I got shown some very interesting stuff in the rainforest um, that, the, that people don't talk about, too which is very, very, very interesting. Some Indiana Jones shit. Uh, kind of cool. After helping out the indigenous and doing stuff, you know, so I was the first blue eyes the Quebecer had ever, the Quebecer children had ever seen. So like they call me Wishka because that's the Quebecer, Seamary Quebecer word for cat. And they think that my eyes look like a jungle cat. And so when I started helping them, like, I, I, you know, so like the Terabah Buran, they initiated me as a protector of the Buran. I'm an initiated like protector. Um, technically, with the Seamary Quebecer, I was I was the man, I'm the man of peace, like a sheriff of sorts. The, I'm the was the only non-Quebecer um, with a quarters in in the indigenous territory. Um, right. I have a home there, and um, and so after helping them, I got shown some stuff that's back there. You know, like there's there's temples in the jungle. There are, you know, and and stuff like that. And and you know, the government knows about it, but that's a lot of the reason that it's um, indigenous international law uh, is because it's protected, and um, you know, no one really talks about it. But there, right. those secrets are there. Yeah, dude, you got a lot of shit going on, man. And the story itself is <clears throat> is uh, is pretty. I mean, it's. It's a crazy fucking story, dude. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's easy to, it's easy to see where somebody would question, you know, the validity of it. It's easy to see where some, you know, a business partner would be like, all right, hold the fuck on here. You know, I mean, I've, I've ended fucking partnerships because, you know, I, I didn't like the way my fucking partner wore shoes. 
you know, that's a, that's yeah, a yeah. Well, so you get what I'm saying. That, you but. know, those business partners, the, the ones that kind of were about to get fired, you know, that's, that's what really happened. You know, so all of this was because of that, you know, had, had these business partners not done, had done their jobs correctly. Um, and, you know, so instead of being pushed out or about what's about to happen with, with them and their positions with me, um, because they knew it, uh, a lot of the stuff, they, it's a little deeper than just that. Um, but they, they use that mental instability, you know, that was before any of the rest of the stuff. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that was well before, but, um, you know, when, when you're telling your team and other people like, come check this out, like literally I'm right here, I can prove it to you, you know? And, uh, so, you know, throughout the course of all this, like I made sure to get like video footage, witnesses, uh, try to, uh, literally log it with different other lawyers around, um, that I was meeting with. Um, so now that I'm back in the United States, I have a team of people that are literally gathering all this. Like I have my Costa Rican contracts on the land. I have, uh, um, different things to, to prove the validity of it all. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, you're right. Chef, but damn, you just went all I, fucking formal on me. Yeah, you just called me chef. Enough. Yeah, oh yeah, chef. <laughs> You're right, Duff. But it's not right at the same time because right. it's only an assumption until you know. And yeah. so I literally had people that used my mental health and other things um, without knowing, and people that I trusted that had locked on to me after fame and Hollywood and everything. Uh, and, um, yeah, man, it just kind of got sad, you know, and no one lives my life. That's another thing is like, no one realized that I had 60 or 65 active projects worldwide that I had been traveling to all these countries that I literally had done this. And so, you know, you kind of look at people and be like, yeah, I just never talked about it. I was doing it. I got all the pictures, got all the stuff. I just hadn't released it yet. Right. And so that's where it's just, uh, yeah, it's sad. It's sad, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's one hell of a story, dude. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's one hell of a crazy fucking story. And for all of that to happen in, you know, that short period of time, and then for you to still to continue to do business down there and stuff like that is really where, you know, I mean, that's like that's my question. And, and it's kind of funny because we've discussed, like, the name of your company. You know, like unlimited liabilities. I'm like, dude, it's fucking the liabilities are limitless. And it's like everything that's happening in Costa Rica is, is kind of falling in, into that same world. It's fucking nuts, dude. So, I mean, that's what oh, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but the, the information and everything that I did there is that more valuable than anything. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's really the best market assessment that could be provided. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so when, when, even whenever before, you know, we, I, before Road Rash, what I was doing was going, we, my company was doing market assessments. People were coming up to us with money and being like, Hey, we want to invest in bar something. And we'd go to, you know, real quick, go into, to Raleigh, go into Anchorage, go into Detroit and do these market assessments to see where great places to invest money were. Yeah. And so then I started kind of going off in this tangent of thinking that, you know, like not thinking, but in chaos, there's opportunity. And so, you know, I did market assessments by myself in Islam Mujeres where I was meeting with the cartels and doing certain stuff. Um, 
uh, right before the cartels took over in Cancun to see here's, whether here's or my, not. Why, it, like, why are you talking to cartels? Because because whenever you go into a situation that's literally about it's either in these wartime situations, it's either about to get really good or really bad. And if it's about to get really good, you can invest in property right before when it's really cheap and right. literally get good. And if you don't, you, you can, you, it, it hurts, right? And so like even along in Puerto Viejo in Costa Rica and everything that I was doing there, I was literally tracking the, the, the coca trade through Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola just moved its biggest plant there. And the Colombian cartels and the FARC actually are working together with the United Nations and they have declared peace. They're no longer the bad guys. And so they are opening up international transit routes around there based upon a lot of this relationships and stuff. Um, but to know markets and to really make the, the big investment, you know, where I want to buy a, a property for 15 grand because there's a coup going on, but I know the coup's about to end and this thing's going to take over. And then that 15 grand property is 500 grand, you know, a year later. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's the big win. And it's, it's, it's kind of fun because, um, literally that's the culture. You know, I, I don't go in and I don't, I don't deal with people that are hidden. These people yeah. are part of everyday life there for other people. You know, the cartels. You, I mean, how, how, what high level, how high are you going into the cartel? I mean, are you sitting down with, you know, the kingpin? I mean, are you sitting with, you know, Bob, the guy who's selling Coke on a corner? I mean, I mean in all high, honesty, you, 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 you never really know how high up yeah. you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like some of the people that I thought were the homeless people were the, 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 the guys in charge. Yeah. There's, there's this guy, there's this guy, you know, south of Puerto Viejo. Um, and everybody thinks he's homeless cause he sits down. He has, he, he's got like torn Daisy Dukes and he has this shirt and he's an indigenous guy and he just sits there and he chops these coconuts and he's just giving them to people that people pay him. Right. And they drop coins off to him and he gathers his coins or whatever. And people don't realize that like he owns like all this property and all this land. And it's like uh, right on the mountain. He has a better view than Bill Gates. And like, he, he like is the guy in charge. It's just the way he right. lives, you know? <laughs> so it, it's interesting. Cause you never, you never know how far you're going to get. Um, but it, it, it's, it's just to establish the situation. You know, if you're going to buy, you know, property in Costa Rica, right. Or if I'm going to move companies to Costa Rica, or I'm going to advise people to come to Costa Rica, or do any market assessment, even if it's Detroit, you know, I'd want to talk to the guy that actually dug into everything and knew everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, dude, yeah. totally. Well, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. So what's your so like, what's, what's your what's your what's your plan now? What do you what's your plan moving forward? So the, the, the plan the entire time um, was one to start a philanthropic organization called La Manera, which is a team of consultants from around the world um, that I've used in the bar and beverage industry, but now expanding that um, we can help with any problem in any situation and a substantial percentage of it goes directly to philanthropy. Um, and part of that organization um, that I've been doing for years is a, a basically a bartending school. Right. We're calling it a university of liquid gastronomy because um, I want it to be more than just bartending, more than just mixology. I want it to be uh, 
you know, the, the science of liquids and the hospitality of liquids and really focus on drinking. Um, and uh, I believe we can change the world through drinking, quite frankly. And uh, so we're creating these very immersive experiences. Uh, the first one is actually in East Texas. So I was starting the first chapter in Costa Rica and just took it over a villa there that now we have to reacquire. Um, but um, uh, we were starting in Costa Rica and then I was setting up campuses worldwide. Uh, we were looking at doing stuff in Inverness, Scotland, Mashatra, India. Uh, and then I was going to go to do some stuff in Medellin, Colombia, and then hopefully along Hong Kong. Um, but instead, I, uh, now that everything that happened, uh, I figured the best thing to do was to come back home to Texas, uh, surround myself with uh, people that I've known for years, um, you know, feel comfortable. You know, I, 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 I rolled through this story, um, in all honesty, kind of nervously right now. Uh, there's so much that went on in the past few months and it was really, it was really scary, you know, um, uh, it, it's, it actually has given me quite a bit of PTSD about it. I'm not sleeping right now, like right, like I have nightmares about it. Um, you know, so I, I kind of joke around about it a little bit, um, but it, it, it was uh, it was really, really scary. So um, just kind of surrounding myself with people that I trust uh, and that I love and um, and rebuilding things and doing that first foundation based upon this bartending school. Right. And we open up in October, um, and right now I'm, I'm. And this is the one in East Texas. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's a totally immersive, immersive experience right here because it's on the intersections of the Camino Real and the Piney Woods. You have uh, things that were brought here by the the Caddo Indians and other tribes uh, that that grow back in the forests here. That it's it's really an amazing uh, jungle out here with the ability to grow. Um, right. and, uh, yeah. And I, I think that there needs to be a nice little hospitality focus on this East Texas area, uh, which has so much going on for it, but no one's ever seen it. And I think that a big reason that I was good barman myself was because I grew up in Texas and specifically this place that I'm taking over. Um, and so I want to teach people from here. And so it's the first campus of, um, and my new international headquarters and home for all my companies. Um, but we're going to bring people through here and then structure them into the Costa Rica, like jungle experience. So like I'm still right now in development with lazy Mon on, uh, uh, the, in Punta Uva, uh, a jungle immersion experience for the liquid gastronomy university as well. Um, Dude. and, uh, yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, man, I, I don't, I don't know how you're keeping it all straight, man. I mean, you got a lot of fucking stuff and a lot of stuff going on, man. And you got yeah, a lot man, of stuff uh, that's, it, yeah. It was it's pulling uh, you back at the same time. Well, you know, uh, those things are slowly uh, uh, melting away. Um, those those things pulling me back never existed until the past few months. Right. Um, but right now, it's just surrounding yourself with the proper team and people. Uh, that's really what it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to say that I handle it all on my own, um, but uh, I don't anymore. You know, it's 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 friends. Um, for the past few weeks with everything that happened, I, I got really flung back into handling it all on my own, yeah. uh, which sucked, um, you know, <laughs> uh, but that, that made me come out of it and really, um, you know, value those people that I had known me before television, before, you know, certain things and, um, realizing that those are the real people I should have surrounded myself in business and in life, uh, 
um, this entire time. And, and also, uh, uh, going, going to church again and just, uh, you know, developing my, my faith and spirituality. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've been traveling around the world studying it and studying Taoism as a, as a belief system for myself and other spiritualities and religions. And, um, um, you know, uh, now I'm, I'm slowing down enough to actually practice what I believe, um, which I think is important to you. Does that make yeah, sense? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, my best, shit, my dude. best friend here is a central, uh, a, a pastor for central Baptist church. <laughs> I was just saying last night, I want to go hang out in a Baptist church. So oh, they're all over East Texas, my friend. Well, I think I'm supposed to be back down. I don't know when I'm back down there. I can't remember, but I'll let you know. Um, well, I, wanna, I, I have some things later, but I'll call you about this. But I want to I'm going to get some things off the ground first. But I want to talk to you uh, about the university because I need uh, some help with the culinary stuff that's going on. Um, but I'm going to I got some things to wrap around first before I jump into there. But um, right, yeah, man, I want to talk to you about that. All right, man. Well, that sounds good to me. Let's see what we got. So, all right, Mr. Russell Davis, do me a favor. Why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, and how everybody can get in contact with you? Uh, my name is Russell Davis. I live dangerously. You can contact me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Mr. Russell Davis. M-R-R-U-S-S-E-L-L-D-A-V-I-S. Beautiful dude. Bye-bye. All right. And I'm <laughs> Yeah, seriously. All right, brother. Well, um, I'd love to do a follow-up and see what's happening in the next couple months and see where everything's going with you and uh, you know, see Not how everything's all. working out, man. All right? Man, I love you, Duffy. It's so good to talk to you again and connect, brother. There is uh, – that's one hell of a story, man. I mean, uh, you know, Russell and I, uh, like I said, you know, we, we were friends for a while and we kind of parted ways for a little bit um, to kind of go focus on our own careers and what we were going to do. Um, I lucked out in reality by connecting with the guys down there in Tampa and, you know, getting Duff live going and all that stuff after, you know, Russell and I had a good podcast, man. We had, we had a good podcast. I'm not going to lie. <clears throat> we had some fun. We interviewed some really cool people and, you know, that struggle of trying to get a, uh, you know, a guy who's on the side of a mountain in uh, Costa Rica uh, to get a good Wi-Fi signal uh, is real. So it was kind of a tough run for the two of us, but, um, and, and the story itself with what's been happening with him is, has, you know, it, it seems to have compounded continuously and further. And a lot of parts of the story are pretty unbelievable, you know I mean? And that's, you know, I, 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 I that's, that's kind of, you know, you got a, you got a lot to take in when you listen to that story. So I'd love to know what everybody's thoughts are, you know, uh, send me a message. It's let's let's continue this conversation and, you know, kind of see what's going on. It's one of the reasons why I want to do a recap with Russell and find out where he is in the next couple of months. And, you know, what's going on with his different his, his different projects that he's got going on and really to see how many of them are going to come to fruition and, and how he's whether or not he can move forward out of that. Uh, you know, because that's a that's a big setback. I mean, when you're you've got a hit out on you, uh, you know, that's a that's a big deal right there. So um, I wish Russell the best in everything he's going to do. And uh, pretty stoked that we had an opportunity to get him on so he could tell a little bit of his story. And, and, and if you want to kind of get a gist of, of the social aspect of what's been happening with it, uh, I, highly, I, I highly suggest that you go and you follow Russell. 
because he's he's got a good group of followers out there. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of questions about a lot of stuff in regards to that story. And, you know, he's communicating back to him. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that or read a little bit more about that, you know, I, I definitely have to say that Instagram is the way to go, or I'm sorry, that Twitter is the way to go to kind of go back and follow that. So, um, so thank you so much, Russell, for hopping on. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, this being the end of the show, uh, I want to thank the three people that do uh, the three groups of people that work really hard to make all this happen. Uh, you know, we got the boys down there at radioinfluence.com. Look, if you guys have an idea for a podcast, uh, reach out to them, have a conversation with them. The worst thing that can happen is that they're going to say no. Okay, you got a 100 percent chance of a no if you don't ask. You got a 50 50 shot if you do. A lot of people have a lot of really good ideas and a lot of things that they want to do. So, um, you know, and I'm, I'm super proud to be a part of the Radio Influence family and be able to work with these guys. It's, it's been an unbelievable experience at just shy of 110 episodes, I believe, we've done with these guys right now. And uh, it's a great partnership. So uh, thanks to the boys down there at RadioInfluence.com. Then we got Michelle out there, Breeze, Illinois. Does all of our really good web stuff and the whole part. She does an amazing job. Go out and check out her at Techno Solution, T-E-C-K-N-O-W Solutions. She's pretty awesome. Maggie Gagliardi, who does all of our uh, caricatures and puts everything together for us. Uh, we're pretty stoked to have all that as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us for the week. I appreciate it, and I look forward to talking to you guys next week. We got a couple fun little guests lined up for you guys, and I'm not even going to tell you about. I will see you then. Thanks, guys. Adios. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B R I D U F F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a flavor of Tampa Bay with Ian Beckles and Tracy Guida Quick Fix on Radio Influence Tampa Bay. The Bay Area all of a sudden has become this place where it seems like there's a lot of companies that have been created here coffee-wise. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that, what would you say the most popular coffee company in this area is? Buddy Brew. I would say Buddy Brew myself. Yeah. They've been around for so long and they've kind of put their hands in everything. And then Kawa would be probably right after that. Definitely. And those are both local Right. Uh, do you prefer one or the other? No, it just depends on where I'm at. Um, mm. I'm all about convenience. Sure. I go to Starbucks almost every day, and a lot of people get on me about that. But you know what? I've grown up with Starbucks. It's right on my way to work. Mm-hmm. It's just right there. However, um, Spatty's Coffee, which is based in Seminole Heights, okay. they are opening on the corner of Inner Bay and McDill, which will be even closer for me. Um, right mm-hmm. next to it used to be a dry cleaner. Oh, and well, exactly what that is. Yeah. A long, long time ago, it used to be a Joffrey's Coffee. Near the Mediterranean restaurant. Right, right next door to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. Spatty's, have you had it before? I have I have once off of a truck, but I've actually never been to their location in Seminole Heights. And I hope I'm saying it right, but their coffee is great. And every day I drive by and I get excited waiting for them to open. Well, good. Spatty's, I, I was reading up on coffee shops and I saw it. I didn't look, mm-hmm. I didn't recognize it, so I didn't write it down, but I'm glad that you brought it, brought it up. Flavor of Tampa Bay with Ian Beckles and Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and ritampabay.com.